0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I am your host, Shane Moss. I have some lovely, wonderful, exciting things to tell you about. Number one, the East Coast premiere of my documentary, Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics, is coming to New York City. This is, I believe, the last chance in the U.S. that you will have a chance to see it up on the big screen. There's going to be more details coming soon about a... A release early next year. And uh, for those of you asking about it, I'll be announcing a lot more info very soon. But New York City, that's about the only chance you're going to have to see it up on a big screen October 4th and 6th at the Psychedelic Film and Music Festival in New York City. My other big thing, launching my newest project, Stand Up Science. What is Stand Up Science? It's a mix of everything that I do. Stand Up Comedy and this podcast, essentially. It's going to be me hosting. I'm going to be introducing a local professor in each city to do like a 15 to 20 minute TED Talk. I'm encouraging them to be a little more experimental. Maybe give a talk that they wouldn't normally feel comfortable doing in a more formal academic setting, and, uh, and then introducing a local comic to do some of their more cerebral stuff. I'm trying to create an environment for uh, to connect smart crowds with smart comics, and then I introduce a second local professor. And, uh, they do again, kind of like a 15 to 20 minute Ted talky sort of thing. And then we all bring everyone up on stage and I riff in between about with some science jokes and some thoughts of my own, bring everyone up on stage for a group discussion and a Q and a where you, the audience gets to be involved as well. Uh, really excited about it. A way to do science outreach and to get some of these, uh, to get you guys involved and, and, uh, the discussion. Always these live events are just so much fun. So I'm launching the first stand-up science shows in Madison, October 11th, so coming right up, then Minneapolis, October 17th, Chicago, October 18th, Milwaukee, October 21st, I believe. We haven't totally confirmed it yet. This is why sometimes this podcast comes out on irregular dates because I'm waiting before making an announcement about this or that for something to confirm. But I believe Des Moines uh, on October 25th, as well as Seattle uh, on November 8th, Tacoma on November 15th. Those are all on Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S dot com. And now another one that I have to add, November 1st in Portland. So uh, once again, any one of those shows, even if you don't live in any of those areas, if you have friends in the area, I think they're going to be a hit. I think they're going to be quite popular and a lot of fun. But any one of those shows that do sell out, if you can help, the word of mouth, there's nothing like word of mouth. So if you can help me out any of those shows that do sell out, one, I will reschedule those shows for three months later with the intention of, if the if the second one also does well, the intention of making it a quarterly show in that city. Uh, I'm just trying to find the right markets where this show will work the best and, and do it quarterly. So if you happen to be in one of those given cities you'll you'll get a chance to see this a lot more often and two i will add any of those shows that sells out i will i will find another city and add another stand up science show and we'll give it a shot there as well i have kind of a i have some bigger plans for this i'm i'm doing kind of a slow pragmatic launch and seeing you know how it does in terms of I know the show the I know it'll be fantastic and everyone that shows up is going to have a have a great time I've already kind of done enough similar things I've been working toward this for a long time and now it's just a matter of making sure all of the kind of marketing pieces are in place and getting the word out to the type of people that will be interested in uh, in such a show and we're starting with small venues just like 150 seat venues so I I have high hopes that we'll be able to sell that those out pack out those shows and we'll be off and running from there hopefully get kind of some good reviews and some buzz about it going and and launch some of the next steps which uh, hopefully i'll be talking to you more about in the future if all goes as planned but for now that's uh that's all we need to know is uh, go to shane moss m-a-u-s-s Com, and you can keep up to date with all of my recent club dates, and uh, there's links to my Patreon and everything else. So you can go there, check that out. It'd really mean a lot to me. I'm so excited about all these up and coming things. I also have uh, the last couple good trip performances that I'm doing for the year in Chicago, Lansing, Michigan, and Kalamazoo as well. So if you happen to live in those areas, it may be one of the last times that I'm doing a good trip live for some time. I'm putting everything on the back burner and focusing on stand-up science. So, thanks for letting me plug away. I hope that you guys are excited about it. I am absolutely ecstatic about these new projects. I think it's, it's going to help. It's just a natural extension of this podcast, and I think it's going to help take this podcast to the next level as well. So I'm very, very excited, and I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am in Miami. I just drove from Key West to Miami, been having a great time in Florida, interviewing all sorts of interesting people like my guest today, who is associate professor at the business school at the University of Miami. Claudia Townsend is joining me today. Townsend.
1: Townsend, yeah.
0: Okay, great. Um, and Claudia, one, uh, thank you so much for oh, joining I'm so excited me. to be doing this. Yeah. I, I think there's going to be kind of, well, I don't know if there's going to be two different completely different topics that we're kind of going to be talking a bit about related to marketing. But I guess to start, just so I know how to segue into each of them, what's what's your background? What's your history? How did you, how'd you end up here?
1: It's a good question, actually, because I think people don't even really think about professors being in business. It's kind of a weird combination. But yeah, in a business school, there are professors. So my undergraduate degrees, I, I majored in economics and psychology, which I loved them both and didn't really see them as ever overlapping. Mm-hmm. Um, after school, I went and I worked in economic consulting, and I liked that, but I kind of it was a little dry, so then I tried market research, um, which was kind of had the numbers I liked from economics and then had kind of more insights into people because we were looking at consumer behavior, um, and I loved it. Um, and I said, this is really cool. I want to go get a degree and learn more and open my own market research firm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is the big dark secret. So when you go into academia, you have to say that everyone's going in to be a professor. And if you tell them you're going to be anything but a professor, you won't even get into the program. So I wrote all my essays saying, yes, I want to be a professor. I want to be a marketing professor. Um, in the back of my mind saying, no, that's not what I want to do. I even had this idea that I was going to so the way a PhD works is you do two years of coursework, and then you do three years of just research. And my thought was, okay, I'm going to do these two years of coursework, I'm going to learn everything I need to learn. And by the way, a PhD, you don't have to pay tuition. Mm. And so then I was going to drop out and have this weird, it's called like a master's in philosophy of business, rather than an MBA, if you do go the PhD route. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have this degree, I'm going to have pulled a fast one on everyone because I wouldn't have had to
0: pay Ha-ha. any tuition. Sorry, suckers.
1: Yeah. And then I was gonna go open my own market research firm or something. And so then I got I I started my PhD at UCLA. And the further into it I got, the more I kinda started thinking, well this is really cool. It's kind of like the market research I was doing before, except that as a professor you get to make up the questions and study exactly what you want rather than what the client wants you to study. So after a year or two I said, well maybe I'll just, you know, finish up the program just to see what it's what it's all about. And then towards the end of the program, I said, well, maybe I'll just try an academic job just to see what it's all about. And then I landed a job here at uh, Miami Business School. And I said, this is pretty great. Um, and now eight years later, I have tenure and I feel so lucky to have this job. It's really fun. You have a lot of independence. You get to study what I think are really interesting questions. Um and also do some teaching, and um, I I feel like I kind of fell into a profession, it wasn't really a planned course of action, but I'm really happy to be where I am.
0: Sounds like they tricked you. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah. They, they, knowing yeah. that people were going to be looking and <laughs> right. using this to right, get right. a market research firm of their own, <laughs> yeah. but would then fall in love with right, academia. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, they pulled a fast one. They on did. You. They did. It's that old, oldest trick in the book. <laughs> um, I mean, they are a university, I know for a Right. And, a fair right. and this is kind of you what, know.
1: and, and what people don't really know is when you think about marketing, there's kind of a bunch of different ways to study it. And the area I do is basically really trying, we're kind of all, um, what I do is study consumer behavior, and we're all kind of, um, want to be psychologists so it is it's a ton of psychology just applied to buying decisions Mm -hmm. and decisions about um everything from kind of self-control do you buy the cake or the cookie or the salad to um donation decisions when would you donate versus not to even just you know when which product do you buy um but it's really taking principles from psychology and applying it
0: uh invention cake cookie salad yeah um, <laughs> we're, we're gonna have to test it we're gonna i'm gonna need a, a marketing firm to, <laughs> sounds to like to It sounds like my lunch every day
1: <laughs> <laughs> salad and cake
0: so this is uh i i love having episodes about marketing and consumer mm. behavior and that. right so, because we have on the here we are podcast it's uh i really try to have topics that People can think about and might apply to everyday life, and I really try to. I, I'm trying to sell science, yeah, to the to the public and and you know make things accessible for people, but also interesting, and and I love hearing about all sorts of like, I love animal behavior stuff mm-hmm, a, a lot. And me, me I love too. like we had a dung beetles episode recently uh-huh. that I just thought was fantastic. And, and uh, we just, I, I just got back from an aquarium doing some nature stuff, mm-hmm. but sometimes people have a little bit of trouble uh, understanding mm-hmm. the connection between like, well, how, how say some dung beetle, or procures a mate, and how that applies to their lives. My daily necessarily. life. Hmm. I can see that being
1: potentially difficult.
0: <laughs> Whereas, although it does, because these are similar patterns uh-huh. in in most every species, uh-huh. but uh, but a much easier sell to people is is kind of teaching people about the things that affect their pocketbook and yeah. their buying decisions. Yeah. No,
1: I mean that's what I always tell my students. I teach intro to marketing, and I say. You know, believe it or not, you you have some intuition because or you have at least some experience because you go in as a consumer and make decisions.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I mean, what a lot of our research shows is that the reasons people think they're buying things may not be entirely correct. But Mm -hmm. we do have some intuitions about why we chose X over Y.
0: Yeah, I have. uh, You want to hear a fun thing that I, uh, I I used to have these. I wonder if I've talked about this on the show before. I have a feeling maybe I did. That's okay uh if i have it's been a while i i used to sell after my my shows um i used to be a big drinker Mm -hmm. and uh and so after my shows a easy way to make money is to sell merch yeah and uh, (laughs) and uh, you you kind of have to it's it's a hard living out there for a road comic and i had these these little plastic beer mustaches that would clip onto the the oh, tops nice. of beer bottles uh-huh. and you'd go to take a drink you'd have a mustache called it shane mustaches mm-hmm. right they came in eight different colors mm-hmm. okay people always they wanted the black and the pink ones always and but after that i could always prime people into getting you know the local sports team oh nice. or you uh-huh. know like Halloween's coming up. You can get an orange, orange one, mm. or, you know, St. Patrick's Day for a green one or whatever. And then once in a while, there'd be a color that I was just sitting on forever mm-hmm. and like a purple or something mm-hmm. like that. And I just wasn't moving any purple ones. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I'd have them in like a little marketing or a, a, little, like display. a, a little display. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they'd be like equal piles of uh-huh. little Shane mustaches. Oh, scarcity! And, uh, yeah, and, and so I'd just take some out, and That's I'd good. have the purple ones in the middle. And mm. I'd take some out, uh-huh. and oh, people just needed See, that purple mustache yeah, so, so bad. Yeah, and I mean, it was you know, people wanted to people want to support the community, and mm-hmm. a lot of times they're like, they don't really care what color, stupid. Mm-hmm beer Mm -hmm. mustache that they're going to lose by the following morning Mm -hmm. anyway and and it it almost just like eases their Mm -hmm. transaction (laughs) to prime them a little bit in a certain way but what's fun is i would always ask them afterwards why they picked a purple one and they always had some story of their granddaughter's favorite color or whatever not
1: because you put it in the middle and took (laughs) so yeah yeah. that's actually i mean there's a ton of different ways to prime scarcity Uh uh-huh uh, the fast fashion or the, sorry, the flash, flash sale sites. I don't know if you know about these. They're, the biggest one is guilt.com, but there's these sale, these sites that, um, they, they send out a daily email, um, and you can click on the email and then there's things that are on sale and, and they, and whenever you go to the website, you know, there might be a little timer in the corner, or if you put something in your cart, They'll say, you can only keep this in your cart for, say, five minutes, and then we're going to release it back out.
0: You have to make this decision yeah, very yeah, exactly. quickly, like this so, is like nuclear war right, or something. Right. So
1: <laughs> so just anything to kind of prime scarcity. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, I guess other people want it if they, they're not letting me keep it forever. Clearly, this is a highly desirable
2: this
0: item. It's a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> opportunity yeah. to buy this thing right. that I'm never going to use. Right, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's – oh, and the, I, I mean the idea – In my mind, of signing up for an email list to be sold... Consumer goods right. is just like right. oh yeah. ouch yeah. why would you do that to yourself? But some people, I'm sure yeah. my girlfriend has a uh, yeah. has a bunch she's yeah. subscribed yeah. to, and and people yeah. people go for it. And there there are great deals out there to be had. And be t- I mean, some of these things are like getting uh, you know actually getting sure. good products sure. yeah, and yeah. good deals yeah. to yeah. <laughs> to people, right. and and it's it's not always a zero sum game, yeah. and both parties benefit. It, but, but there's definitely, yeah. I, I think that, uh, I, I'm betting on the marketers right. over, right. over <laughs> the consumer pretty much every time mm-hmm. and who's, who's gaining the most right. in a given transaction.
1: Right. But then you can also think about, well, do they feel better about that purchase, right? Um, maybe they actually at the end of the day get more pleasure because it's not just that I got this whatever it is sweater but I got this sweater that apparently a lot of people wanted so maybe at the end of the day the consumer's benefiting I mean just to you know play devil's advocate and be on the side of the marketer but maybe you actually like it more and feel better about it because you got this sense that you got this highly coveted good
0: yeah I mean certainly I'm sure there's a lot of people that still have a a purple (laughs) (laughs) mustache that reminds them of that fun night they had the show, and meanwhile, I'm sitting here riddled with guilt <laughs> that I sold these stupid. So things that's your that... follow
1: up study to see <laughs> the number of people who've kept their purple mustaches versus the pink and the black. And
0: right, right, you know. right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to in the future because I have a lot of different mm-hmm. merch ideas, and I actually have merch that I like now, mm-hmm. rather than I never necessarily liked those mm-hmm. things, but mm-hmm. they're kind of fun and silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that would be. It would be. Interesting. Yeah. To, I, I often think that there's many studies that I could be oh, doing I, I out mean, there in the road. I'm now
1: thinking, I mean, okay, now I have Shane's merch table where I can run field studies. Will he let me do this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, that's... Uh,
2: I'm going
1: to all... come along and be your merch uh, girl for your next oh, tour please do. as long as i can you know manipulate price and and where things are located and
0: yeah well and then there's bigger pictures of it yeah. too of of just i mean even when i'm on stage i mm-hmm. have to i'm selling mm-hmm. jokes and mm-hmm. i'm priming people mm-hmm. in certain ways mm-hmm. and setting up context for people and and uh you know that's there's a lot of there's a lot of manipulations yeah. going on yeah. uh and and so, uh, so yeah there's Oh, man, that's, I, I mean, much of our, much of our lives are an experiment. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people would do, would do well to start thinking of their lives as mm-hmm. a little bit more sure. of an experiment and trial and error and seeing right. what works. Right. Not just right. assuming you did something that works. Right. And it that's
1: actually a nice way to look at it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, where, where do you want to start? You want to start with the aesthetic stuff or you want to, because we, we, we talk about, uh, I, I, I did, um, and, and I always ask people at the end for a nonprofit or Mm -hmm. a charity of their choice because I was, I was reading a lot about evolutionary psychology and biology and kind of how we sell ourselves and in different ways Mm -hmm. and like advertise like, Hey, I'm really good at this. You should like me. And like the, the various, the various ways in which we kind of impress people and, and, Doing good in the world seemed like a, like yeah, a what, what yeah. a nice way to one, make yourself look better, yeah. but then it also improves yeah. uh, the lives of others at the same time. Yeah, why not? And a potentially mutually beneficial yeah. uh, thing. But I, and that was, that was the premise. And I didn't really know uh, what else to do. I, I have, I haven't done a whole lot else, but I just, I ask my guest each week, but I've never figured out. I was like, well, do I, do I try to figure out something where people people can see publicly if they've if they've donated mm, or they can mm-hmm, share with? Mm-hmm. And I haven't. So so you do some research, yeah. with with nonprofit giving. So I do. maybe I can uh, learn from you a bit. Yeah,
1: sure. So. Um so yeah, as you mentioned, most of my work is on kind of aesthetics, <clears throat> a visual presentation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how do you set up the? How do you set up your merch table <laughs> and yeah. how does your merch table look? But and we can start if, can, if no, one can, makes more yeah. sense
0: to do first. It doesn't matter to me. It's
1: okay. We can let, let's start with the nonprofit stuff, and then I do have some work in that area. So um, I have one kind of pro- a crossover project, which is looking at exactly what you'd imagine I'm talking about, which is aesthetics of when you ask someone for money. So. Um, I'll tell you actually how this study came about or this, this project came about. I used to get kind of once a year a postcard in the mail for a nonprofit saying, you know, can you give us your annual donation but around the fall when everyone's asking for a donation. And then one year I got this really, really nice. It was no longer this postcard, but it was like this letter and with this really nice letterhead and thick paper and really beautiful photos. And me being someone who studies aesthetics – all the research in aesthetics says, you know, the better looking it is, the better. The more people just there's this automatic response. We can't help ourselves. We like pretty things. I mean, just think about, you know, mate selection. It's it's pretty automatic. Mm-hmm. Um and yet, I looked at this really pretty invitation or this really pretty, you know, solicitation and I kind of like, I don't know, puked a little bit in my mouth. Um, and was like, I don't want to give this these people my money. And then I started to think about that because again, this is kind of what I study. Um, and so I, I ended up doing some studies in the lab and I actually ran some field studies um, with um, communities and schools of Miami's that's not my organization I'm gonna hold off on what my but um, I did they, they let me run some field studies which was awesome um, and I started to see okay well is there a reason I kind of responded badly to something that looks that that good and so I started to tease apart what makes something what makes a solicitation good looking so you get something in the mail um, and first, the first thing was I identified there's kind of two different kinds of aesthetic elements um, in this context. Some are ones like the font or um, just kind of the way things are aligned, which makes something prettier, but it doesn't really cost anything. Um, and consumers know that. Um, but then there's some that we know as consumers cost a lot when you get that really thick cardstock or really beautiful laminated photos. And we know that costs a lot. And what I found was making something more beautiful, yeah, it did help. But when you had something so beautiful kind of on both of these dimensions, both those that kind of are free, we'll say, and those that cost something, it kind of it it wiped out the effect and, and it looked too good, in a sense. Mm. And actually, donations would go down. Um, and what I found was what happened was people expect nonprofits to be frugal if you're Mm going to take my money i want that money to go to the cause i don't want it to go towards fancy paper Mm -hmm. um and if you are giving me kind of something that looks unnecessarily nice and expensive i recoil a little bit from that and so then i don't give so that was a really interesting finding because it really does go against everything we know in consumer behavior about people just liking good looking things Mm -hmm. um And there's also a lot of research that say people like to affiliate themselves with things that are beautiful and organizations that are doing great things. Um, Like you said, you know, I want my names touted that I gave money to this organization. So, again, that would make you think, well, if if they have beautiful, expensive looking things that you would think people would want to give more. I'm giving to this group that, you know, makes these super fancy solicitations. But that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and what's also interesting is this is really just for nonprofits. So if it's a for profit, if it's someone inviting you um to an event or something, you know, I don't even know, a sale at a store, then in that context, the better looking the better. And it doesn't matter if it looks expensive, you you want the really beautiful, expensive looking um solicitation. It's only when it's a non profit that you really kind of ding them if it looks too nice and too expensive.
0: Mm. So, uh, have you ever seen arrested development? Yeah. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. like the Bluth family, Lindsay would have like these charity drives sometimes. So, so that's like, that would come off as kind of tacky or something. These people are just clearly advertising their wealth and calling it for charity I, lo-
1: I just i love that you just made my, re- my research relevant to arrested development <laughs> i feel so much more clever now
0: but it's like it, this is and I'll, I'll give a worse example uh, let's go for a worse example yeah, okay, why not okay um <laughs> maybe it will encourage charity yeah, yeah. Um, I, I if you're driving your your kid around to sell girl scout cookies right. but you show up in like a lamborghini yeah. or something oh, like not that cool. like, not oh, cool.
2: yeah
1: yeah that's a good think. point um, yeah, that's a great one, although I mean I guess I mean to split hairs, you know the then the, it's not going towards we're the little, creating a
0: lot of unnecessary yeah, variables but with but, that I,
1: but I do like that example because I think we've all probably been in some situation like that mm-hmm. um and so some other work just to kind of keep going with the the donations work um I have another work which was a bunch of field studies um it was with some professors just up north at FSU. Um, that was looking. Um, I should probably give you their names Tatiana Fajardo and Billy uh, Willie Bolander. Um, we looked at, so if someone asks you, you know, can you give money to this organization or you get this solicitation, we think about that as okay, someone just asked you a question. But what we identified, and we kind of actually went to this research on gambling or gamblers or how people look at gambles, that act- there's actually two questions there. One is will you give? And the other is how much will you give? Um, And the literature had always really looked at that as one question. Um, You know, the solicitation comes and then we see how much you gave. But what we did is we kind of teased apart those two questions and we noticed that different factors influence one versus the other. So it's interesting because campaigns actually have different goals. So if you're going after a population that doesn't typically, you know, people that have never heard from you, you really just want to have them give because then you have an excuse to contact them again. You can go and say how many people you have giving, which is often a sign of kind of satisfaction. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons why an organization is very happy, even if you just give one dollar. Um, It starts the relationship. Then there's other people you've been giving years, year after year after year, um, and I know you can give more, and my goal with you is not just to get you to give, but I want you to give a lot. Mm -hmm. And so what our research showed is, um, basically, the decision, should I give or not? That decision ultimately has is kind of a more selfish decision, I would say. Um, It's really about how do I align with this organization? Does it feel close to me? So, for example, is the organization, for me, are you soliciting me from an organization that's gonna help people in Miami, or people in in Africa, say? Um, and Miami just feels closer to me, so I'm gonna be more likely to give. Um Or does it make me feel good about myself? So if you email someone and say, you're such a great person, we, we've identified you as someone who's really generous, that's why you're getting this email, that makes me feel good about myself. So that kind of messaging influences whether I will give, but we find it has a much smaller effect on how much you give. Then when it comes to that second decision of, okay, I've decided to give, how much am I gonna give? That decision is much more based on the organization itself. And my perception of them, do they seem, does the problem they're addressing seem big, um, like a big weighty problem that needs a lot of help? Do they seem capable and competent of doing a good job? And so, so we really saw that there's been a lot of research on all these factors, factors about the giver. Um, the organization and the cause that have all been studied, but we really differentiated that the ones about the giver really more influence this decision of do I give or not? And the, then the ones about kind of the organization and the cause have a much stronger impact on how much you're giving. Hmm. Um, it's all relative. It's not like one doesn't affect the other, but that the kind of just the strength of the effect, um, varies across those two decisions.
0: Hmm. Listeners, do you remember the old days before LinkedIn, before this crazy, wild internet stuff that's changed the world, and you were looking to hire someone, and and your neighbor would find out, and they'd volunteer their kid, and then you'd end up hiring the neighbor's kid because they're your neighbor, and you didn't want to be awkward at card night that night, and so you hire their dumb kid who, uh, you know, they're not right for the job, but what the heck? You're going to give them a shot. Who knows? Maybe they're really going to take to it. Maybe they're going to be your new apprentice and they're going to move your business forward. And you know within three days that that was a foolish hope. And now you're stuck with this kid. You don't know how to get rid of him. It's, it's too awkward. What do you do? Move? But just because you want to get rid of this kid that's slacking off, you didn't have LinkedIn back then, a social network where 70% of the workforce is on there, where you can post, you can find people that meet. LinkedIn's considering skills, experience, location, education, and everything you need to know to find the exact job candidate that you need to fill your very specific position. Go to linkedin.com slash HWA for here we are, linkedin.com slash HWA to get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash HWA for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. So a few things come to mind i i often have guests because I, I i always i'm sometimes like oh i wonder if that's going to work because that people will mention something very local yeah and this is like a national yeah yeah, uh, yeah. worldwide okay great podcast yeah, yeah. I have listeners in australia yeah. and stuff yeah and, yeah and i mean i mean that's fine if if uh you know, we don't necessarily get every international right. person involved. Uh-huh. You know, that might be expecting uh-huh. a bit much. But uh, but a lot of times when, when someone's uh, like, I don't know what you're going to end up plugging or mm-hmm. you can tell mm-hmm. me now. But if you were to uh, say like this, uh, uh, the Miami pet rescue right. something right. or other mm-hmm. people are I, in my mind, people would often be like, well, why wouldn't I just give to the rescue and? My, uh, right. Louisiana or, yeah. or wherever I'm yeah. at. Uh, but then there's also, like, I was just in, in Key West at, uh, this mode aquarium talking about coral. Uh huh. And even though that's in Key West where they might not be, it's talking about something like coral, right. which is like, if coral mm-hmm. gets devastated, it affects all of us. Yeah. And so then it yeah. is, yeah. So there's a few things happening yeah. there. But then I, but, but also say you, say you were to plug, Miami Pet Rescue, such and such. Listeners in Florida might be more like, oh, she mentioned that. And and it might be more inclined to just the average listener. I don't have data on like what the, I would love to know. I, I don't know how to set that up exactly. And I'm kind of lazy, but I would, I would love to, uh, figure out that I've always wanted to know what the data is and like who's giving. You know what you need to 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 do is you need to have
1: a promo code, just like organizations do. And Mm. it says if you give to Miami Pet Rescue, um say, you know here we are hashtag then. Shane or he- yeah. here we are in your description and they'll they'll give another five dollars, right? And that's a way that you can or all you say I'll give another five dollars, although that might be scary. You don't know how many donations you're getting here. Right. But- I've
0: always that's always been the big dream is yeah, yeah. like I'd be able to uh, like help match donations yeah. or put yeah, yeah. something like that yeah. together. Yeah. I am too poor to do that yeah. right <laughs> now, but in the in the future. I'm not
1: gonna be doing that <laughs> with my organization either, so I don't blame you. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I mean, I would just I would it be so fascinating mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see those numbers yeah. and it would make me feel good potentially to yeah. know that people are actually contributing. Yeah. Uh so so I I might have I might have missed some of the when, when you talked about getting people to so people are already I'm on board. I'm right. gonna donate to the yeah. pet rescue, whatever yeah, yeah. such and yeah, yeah, such. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. grow, I'm, right. I'm gonna donate to eyebrow hair mm-hmm. for the elderly or whatever the mm-hmm. organization is. But you want to give more to? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how do you get? How do you prime more? So out of people?
1: yeah. So once once you've already given, the idea is you already feel connected. So those those factors that make you feel connected to the organization when it's about, again, the donor have already kind of been been satisfied. So then it's now about the organization and the cause. So it's about making or motivating people to see how important mm. the cause is, um, you know, and and what the organization is able to do. So it's really more about as an organization talking about yourself as opposed to the donor.
0: I see. And then it seems like... It seems like there's a lot of, like, competition used within the charity stuff. There's a lot lot of, like, walking and running involved. But then there's, uh, I mean, it it seems like one thing people will use is, like, let's make this the best year ever for this blood drive or whatever it might Mm be. And that motivates people. Is there something going on
1: there? So it's funny. So if you look at the research and, like, the work done on this among practitioners, they're always looking at okay, how, how do you describe your organization or how do you describe the cause so that people really give? And then if you talk to the psychologist, they're like, oh, it's not about the cause. It's all about the donor. You got to make the donor feel connected. You got to make the donor feel good about themselves. And these two groups don't really talk to each other. Right. So you talk to someone who's actually practicing this and they're thinking, wait, I got like this is about the donor. It's not about you know me. And you talk to the psychologist and they say, wait, the organization matters. And intuitively it all matters. Right. So I think I mean, something like that, there's a lot going on, I think. People like goals, right? And you like to have something to work towards. But I think there's probably some identity in there too. You want to be part of the most successful year ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that relates back to the donor. Be the person who put us over the edge or, or be part of um, this crowd mentality. We're all working together to get, reach this goal and you can be kind of in this group with us if you help us get there. I think. Uh, same with the kind of the walks and the runs. I think part of that is just the group mentality. You show up and you look around and wow, all these people are like me. All these people care about this organization. It reinforces that identity. This, mm-hmm. this is part of who I am. I'm a person who supports sex. Um, and not to mention that then the organizations can then use that to kind of sh- pup, uh, show other people, look, we had, you know, this many people show up for a run. And believe it or not, that's the kind of thing. So, for example, number of donors that can really help them get, for example, government money. Um, if you can say, you know, we have this many people donating, it identifies it as something that people care about. Or we have this many people showing up to our events. Okay, this is this matters. Um,
0: Plus, it's uh, it's sexy, you know. Yeah, what a great yeah. what a great way to meet uh, new p- potential mates. And why, yeah. I have this I have this friend uh-huh. <laughs> uh, from high school. Uh-huh. This this a girl I went to high school with who met her husband in DUI class and Less that's a story that they have to tell <laughs> everybody oh man yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a brutal one yeah. um and and uh, I I think I think definitely everyone if if you just got to pick your story right. Right. That's not <laughs> whatever perfect. story you wanted yeah. if people people want the like I met at the blood drive or right. walk yeah. for life story or right. whatever where right. you where you met your mate but it also it does it shows that people I mean, there's certainly, it's probably saying some things about a person's character that's, that's showing up. If, if, if you're doing some 5k for a charity, it's showing that one, you can do a 5k, yeah. two, you're, Probably fairly conscientious. Yeah, You're yeah. empathetic, thoughtful yeah. of others. You're
1: no, I mean, and and then you post it on social media, and and it's you know, look how great I am in three different ways. I'm running, <laughs> and I'm giving money, and
0: yeah. and I know how Instagram works. Yeah. <laughs> I got this amazing <laughs> skill to take a selfie. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, cool. um So, uh, uh, any other any other nonprofit uh, stuff? Um, I'm
1: there? trying to think um I mean, it's funny because I I, uh, I I've realized just for me, whenever I can do so, I run studies in the lab, and then I run studies in the field. And mm-hmm. nonprofits, as you might imagine, are more open to allowing a professor to come in and kind of mess with whatever they're doing than 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 um, for profits. So I've used nonprofits in some of my other work, but none of my other work kind of directly looks at uh, looks at um nonprofit behavior. Mm. But there is a ton of research out there. It's it's pretty neat stuff.
0: So well, we mentioned uh, aesthetics yeah. in the course of that. I think that uh, it's a smooth enough transition yeah, sure. Let's into, go there. into some of that work. Yeah, we set that up for people.
1: Yeah, so that's where most of my research is, and it's and it's actually pretty amazing that you know I say I study marketing and I study how consumers um, make decisions, and to a person who is not an academic, it's very obvious that the way products look has a huge impact on their choices. Um, But what I found was, and this is very surprising, is when I was a um, PhD student, there's actually not a lot of academic research on it, which is very surprising, right? Because it's kind of intuitive. So that was kind of cool because as an academic, you look at the research and it seems like everyone's done everything. So it was cool to say, hey, here's an area I can do. Um, So, um, I mean, overall, it's again, it's intuitive that we like pretty things, but what I've really tried to do is, A, kind of push the boundaries of that, of when and where and why, and then kind of go a little bit deeper into that. Um, so one of my first publications was with Suzanne Shu, who's at UCLA Anderson, and we said, okay... We know people respond better to to good looking things, and there's this automatic response that people aren't really aware of, and then there's these more thoughtful responses. Oh, you know, that will look good in my kitchen or whatever. And we tried to think what is what is one area where like that we would least expect to see this behavior. And so we thought, well, what about financial decisions? That it really shouldn't have an pick there. There's no normative reason, or we people don't think that. Um, you, Aesthetics should have um, an impact in financial decision making. So,
0: if you're building a robot, if you're building artificial intelligence to make your financial decisions, right? For me, something that you're programming in right. there is not like how yeah. pretty is it?
1: Exactly. So um what we did is we collected a ton of annual reports um and measured them on a bunch of things that could kind of be related to aesthetics, the number of colors on the front cover, the number of colors inside, the no- their use of pictures, their use of imagery, are their graphs black and white or color? And we really kind of collected all this data. And then we would go to several different groups, one of which was kind of students um at Anderson, the business school, who were either had a background in finance or had invested for themselves who had basically self-identified as like, yeah, I'm a, I'm an investor and I know what I'm doing. And then we would show them these different annual reports. And basically, um, then we controlled for the factors that should, should influence the decision, you know, the returns, things like that. Um, and we found that there was, in fact, an effect of the way the annual report looked. So people were more likely to invest and they felt more confident in the investment if the annual report was better looking. Mm. Um, so that was super cool. Um, um, so that is yeah. I, I,
0: that's. I mean,
1: (laughs) and I tell people that and they were like, well, everyone thinks, well, I wouldn't do that. And I and and then I go back and I show them who the sample was. And it's people who I mean, arguably are way more um, savvy about finances and investing than most of us are. And yet. They fell for it, so
0: yeah. Um, hmm. I, I wonder how. So Warren Buffett's, uh, uh, like, yeah. Oh, I like this. I like this. Uh, well, these little picture. roses in the in the corner <laughs> yeah. of this yeah. quarterly report. Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. <laughs> uh. So well, I mean, this is. I, I think a lot of people. You, you when you're going to build a resume or mm-hmm. something, people go and figure out what font. Right. Is, this and that so it makes it easy for someone right. to read and right.
1: yeah I mean some of it is very kind of functional right or you know if it looks bad then you think okay this person's sloppy or this you know but it's the difference between like kind of good looking and really good looking that you think this shouldn't really f- matter again unless say your job is as a designer or you're applying for a jo- job as a designer but this our research would suggest I haven't looked at resumes but to me that would be that's even like a more intuitive place than than financial decisions. So mm. I would imagine you would get the effect there.
0: This might be kind of unrelated. Mm-hmm. But, but there's also – there's a lot of, like, flowery talk. And mm-hmm. uh, say you're making a resume. I, I was just – I was reading through uh, some potential upcoming guests. I was mm-hmm, reading through mm-hmm. some of their bios. Mm-hmm. And I'm used to reading a lot of academic –
2: We're pretty dry. Uh, yeah,
0: pretty dry for the <laughs> most part. And I got to this one person mm-hmm. – and it was a lot of like the uh, strives to be uh, the best yeah. to this and, th-, and like really overselling. Yeah. It. And I was yeah. Like, mm. yeah. like and it was a, it was a bit of a turn up. Yeah. I think, I think intuitively yeah. we all think like, well, you know, you oversell you, you want to sell yourself yeah. and make yourself sound yeah. better. But it, it just came off as like kind of uh, tacky. I yeah. guess is there effects like that where where it gets to be too much.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we didn't find that with the financial reports, but I could imagine it, you know, like like I said when I at the beginning of our discussion that with these nonprofits if something's too good looking, we don't like it. And so I wonder if there's a similar effect in, in a financial report. So, um like I said when we tested it when I tested it in the context of these donation decisions and um aesthetics, I found that the effect wasn't there when they were doing um for-profits. But the question is, okay, now the decision is, do I give them my money um, as as an investment? And I wonder if you really kind of highlight to people, you're giving them money. They're going to use this money. Do you think they're using money well? If you made that report ridiculously good looking, then it might be almost like the nonprofit where I'm suddenly like, wait a minute, that's not how I want you using my investment dollars. Why aren't you using that to do something that's going to, you know, spur sales of of your products or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I could see there kind of being an overlap there. Um, but the idea
0: you're using twenty percent of your right, overhead right. on these right. That's on definitely, fiscal report. Right.
1: There were there was at least two stock shares that went into this year's
2: <laughs> you know
1: for this year's announcement. Yeah. So I mean yeah, I could see it back again, we didn't find that, but I could see kind of like maybe maybe we just didn't go far enough in looking at really good looking reports. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, so that some of my research has been exactly that kind of pushing the boundaries of kind of when aesthetics matters. Um, And then I have some that looks at very like kind of trying to pinpoint some specific part of aesthetics. Um, So going back to actually um, your tchotchke table, your your swag table, I have some research that's kind of relevant to that, which is. We looked at, and this is interesting because when I tell people the effect, there's part of it that is super intuitive and everyone says, well, yeah, no duh, like I get that. And then there's a part that's not that intuitive. Um, And so this was a a project I did with um, Julio Sevilla, who used to be a PhD student here and he's now at Georgia. And we looked at, okay, so you have a display of products, so your tchotchke table. um, And um, do you have a lot of things kind of, do you have like one table with say 20 things Spaced out, or and it's kind of crowded. Or do you take that same twenty things, but spread them out over two tables? Okay, so you're holding the the nut the the actual um, items constant, and you're just spreading them out over more space, so they're just more spread out. Okay, and so you can think about if you go into now, I'm going to tell your reader, your listeners, except for if you're driving close your eyes and imagine yourself walking to a super expensive store, say like a super expensive women's shoe store. When you think of a super expensive store, things are widely spaced. That's almost – we automatically know, okay, yeah, this is expensive. I can't afford it. Whereas if we're walking into kind of a cheaper place, everything's kind of close together, Mm -hmm. right? So there's something intuitive there and, and you can actually kind of back it out like, okay, these people are paying rent if they can, if they can afford to have one item every, every five square feet clearly they're charging a premium right so that's a pretty when uh,
0: you go into kmart and they have a lot of failure all clumped together right
1: exactly so so that's a pretty intuitive thing so well i should first t- tell you the effect which is pretty obvious but when you spread things out more people think they're more expensive and they like them more and they buy them more okay mm. so again there's some intuition there, okay? Yeah, we get that. We we know when we you can walk into that store and right away say, "Oh, I don't think I can afford anything here," because there's like you know three things each with its spotlight on it, and you you just know it's it's a high price point. And again, you can kind of back out. Okay, clearly, you know they're paying their rent somehow with with um, with some premium. So we can kind of wipe out that effect um, by simply telling someone. So for example, we did it with women's jewelry, and we could tell them either this is your, this is the display at Tiffany and Company. Or this is this display at like some cheap store, like Forever 21. And then people can over kind of overcome the effect of it being spread out to say, okay, no, this is expensive or this is cheap, depending on the store. But there's this other effect that we actually couldn't turn off. And this is kind of the less intuitive one, which is by spreading things out more, each individual item looks better people actually rate them as more aesthetically pleasing and that is not intuitive right so um that 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 one (laughs) pink mustache people find more attractive just by simply not having other things around it and that has this kind of subtle influence that people like it more um they find it more expensive and they're more likely to buy it and that you can't turn off
0: and Uh, okay eight Eight tables. Okay, yes. One, one mustache color. per <laughs> one. table is the answer. Okay, perfect.
1: I told you, this is my new way to run field studies. Um, and and so what's interesting there is also, and this kind of goes back to pushing the boundaries of aesthetics. So I tell you it makes it better looking, and so people are more likely to buy it, and they would find it more expensive. Most people are probably assuming then that we're still just talking about say earrings or something where aesthetics matter. And again, the interesting thing here is the effect is still there, even if it's something that you don't necessarily think of aesthetics as being part of why you care about it. So it can be something pretty mundane, and you still get this effect, like medicine or something. So Mm. somehow the effect of aesthetics is kind of so automatic and almost non-conscious that you can't turn it off because we're not even aware it's having an effect. Um, And you can't override it in any way. So I think that's pretty cool. And in fact, we have a really cool study that we did in that project where we had people taste chocolates. And we had a big setup of chocolates. um, And it was the same number of chocolates. We got these little... Um, chocolates wrapped in like a, a purple wrapping, and we set up this table and we told people, you know, there's this. It, we're in Miami, and there's there, it is in fact the case that a lot of businesses from Latin America, when they come to my, come to the U.S., they first kind of test their test their idea out in Miami because Miami is this combination of the U.S. and Latin America, so they're like, well, let's let's do the halfway test here. So we test set it up in Miami and we said, there's this this chocolatier brand in Latin America, and they're coming to the U.S. and they want to get feedback. Um, so, can you taste a chocolate and then give give us your reaction? G- take the survey and rate how you how you how much you like it and how much how how much you like the taste and how much you think they should sell it for. And we varied ac- like across different hours. We had the same number of chocolates, but were they set up over one table or two tables? And we actually got that people when it was set up over two tables, people not only uh, thought that the chocolates were more expensive, which is kind of the more intuitive thing, but they actually rated them as tasting better. Mm. so that i thought was super cool right Mm. you can actually change how people perceive them tasting something
0: Hmm. yeah that's i yeah food foods uh yeah food's an interesting thing in that in that way
1: yeah i mean we that in that respect we were building on a lot of previous research that says you know you give something a higher price point people like it more or
0: i'm a sucker for that i i like a going out for fancy food and whatnot and afterwards when it
1: was when it's like three bites and fifty dollars it's like oh yeah that's got to be tasty yeah (laughs) yeah um,
0: I have to enjoy this. <laughs> I like forced myself to start enjoying pate. Like oh, I didn't like no, it like no. the first 30 times and I kept on trying for some. I don't know why. <laughs> I like it now. It worked. It worked. You, yeah. you eventually you like what you eat. Yeah. You don't, you don't necessarily, you don't have to, everyone thinks right. that, that you eat what you like, right. but you'll, you'll like the things that you right. eat too. Yeah. Um, and, and just tell yourself a story about how good it was. <laughs> yeah that's fascinating. Yeah. Um so uh, okay, so when you talk about aesthetics you're uh, so that was work about kind of spacing So Yeah, out so it was just taking
1: then... one element of visual processing. And to be honest, the funny thing was we went into this looking at something of visual processing. And I do all this work on aesthetics. We didn't know that aesthetics was going to be what kind of what happened, that it would make things look better looking. So, yeah, so I have some work that more like that, which is just looking at kind of one visual element, not necessarily aesthetics.
0: Can I uh, yeah. ask – so when you mentioned medicine or whatever, yeah. I imagine you haven't tested this yet. But if you were to – uh, do this with like, different advil tylenol whatever it worked better yeah
1: so i haven't studied that but there is a ton of research and i mean it's kind of frightening but um uh one of our students here noah vinberg and he our former students he's at cincinnati he does work on um like he did a couple studies with um i want to say it was with like gatorade and gatorade chewing gum and he would present it as like a a study aid or or something like and then have people I'm, i'm probably not getting this right but, um, yeah, it, and he was looking at a different effect, but you often can get these things where people's performance actually changes. Like just, you know, it's all <laughs> yeah. in your head, right? You tell, and you would, he would did something, I think it was whether he was sh- selling packets alone or like a, a six pack. And when people saw a six pack, I think there was like, again, I'm getting this all wrong. I'm sure. So, um, but I'll just paraphrase and make up my own research at this point, but <laughs> something like if it's in a six pack, you don't see it as a strong and then he'd have them do some task, and they actually wouldn't perform as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about a somewhat related thing. Yeah. I, I've been doing CrossFit here and there uh-huh, and uh-huh. they'll have, they'll, they pedal their yeah, yeah. different things yeah. and there's, there's some sort of weird protein goop thing that yeah. I really enjoy actually. It's like a smash pack or uh-huh, something like uh-huh. that. I think they're delightful, but, uh, and now yeah, you're, you're supposed to have the protein But I was thinking about, like, so I'd always get these things and do it after work. I'm always the worst person in, in CrossFit. I'm <laughs> you super coordinated. No. Yeah. Yeah. We'd, we'd, it'd be good for both of <laughs> yeah. our esteem. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and these are like at my gym. Yeah. I've been to other ones, but at mine in particular, or at least at the times that mm-hmm. I go, they're like super athletes. There. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Insane. it's very intimidating. Is yeah. And, uh, and, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I don't see like once in a while, I'll see someone else (laughs) like get one of these things, right? right. But like, and these people are actually in shape and actually they know know what they're they're doing. doing. I'm just the sucker that's like, Oh, this is going to make me stronger. And that's like, of of course it's too. It's like the easiest, right? right. Like what really makes you stronger is lifting heavier weights, (laughs) not getting some goop goop i mean
1: yeah i could see at least if you take the goo before you work out you could just like in your head say like this is going to make me work work harder or something but the goo after the workout i'm i'm having a hard time kind of trying to figure out the mechanism like
0: a reward that i'm getting afterwards that's like or or if it's just well, because you, you know, you're supposed to have the protein after right. the workout. Right. So if you're building muscle, it's, it's got so the ingredients. I, yeah. I, that's fair. I, I like visualize yeah. myself yeah. in the future being some Jacked. ripped yeah. guy. <sighs> um, and so I don't, uh, I don't know. I bet yeah. I've just been thinking about that recently because. I've been feeling a little foolish <laughs> about, about that purchasing right. decision.
1: Well, maybe they all were taking that and now they're just so big and bulky. Like, they, yeah, they don't it, need it. It would be
0: too much. Yeah. 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 You that, can't, I think it. that's clearly, the, clearly <laughs> yeah. what's going on. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get any stronger. Yeah. At yeah. A certain point. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's uh, funny. Do you, do you find yourself falling for many of the tricks? That you know oh, yeah. darn I mean, well. Yeah. I like mean. I do. Do you, do you have exam, like I have, uh, like I, if you put new on something, mm-hmm, uh, like mm-hmm, some new mm-hmm. flavored, like Snicker you're, you're bar, yeah. or, like, like there's some new, like, yeah. uh, pepper or tamale mm-hmm. or like some hot, ha- like I have of no what? interest in, uh, like a Snicker. That's okay. like, what? Jalapeno Snickers, something, huh. something like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't like jalapeno in anything, and yeah. let alone a Snickers. <laughs> but it's like, if it's new, like, in my mind, I, well, yeah, this yeah. is like, I'm a part of human progress. Yeah, yeah. This is like, newer equals right, better. Right, right. The science just, yeah. the beat yeah. behind the Snicker bar is right. just getting better and better. I fall for that one. I, I get, I remember, like, listening to uh, a Dan Ariely oh, yeah. audio mm-hmm. book all about, uh, like, I remember I was listening to this part about like decision fatigue uh-huh, uh-huh, totally. uh, on my way to like interview him or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, and I go into a convenience store, like having just listened to that. Yeah. And I just start immediately buying all of this candy and yeah. said, that was like exactly, right, exactly. the thing that he's, yeah. he's like, here's the dumb thing that we do. <laughs> and then I walk in there and I do the dumb. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny.
1: So I think, I think studying this makes you more aware. I'm not sure how much correction goes on. So for me, in some ways, I think I, I, there's certain things. So for example, I study a lot about branding and I'm very aware about kind of why people buy various brands and it's all about identity presentation to yourself and to others and you know I buy Nike and I feel fitter and I show other people that I'm filler.
0: Well that swoosh it's so aerodynamic Yeah and it I mean just clearly wearing it is so just going to yeah faster. And that when If you have like an air pocket right. that's also exposed <laughs> in the exterior oh clearly. man that's really it's just so much better yeah. for running.
1: So but I think so for example I have a thing that I don't I don't like wearing anything that is either has a logo on it or um, that is clearly from a specific brand. And I think that's because it's I'm so aware of this that that I think to myself, like, I'm, I I become like ashamed or embarrassed about like, if I have that Nike swoosh on me, I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to be athletic. I'm not really athletic, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm so aware of that, that I really forego any sort of brand imagery. Um so I think that's kind of one way that might. Be.
0: Oh, and but that's pretty cool of you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it? Maybe, I don't know. maybe, maybe, I don't maybe know. that's like another thing that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like Prada or something right. like that, you'll never see the Prada logo. Right. On the Actually, that brings me into it.
1: another project. If you want to talk about another project, of course. Yeah. I want to talk about okay. whatever. Okay. So I have a new project um, that's not published yet. So no one can quote me on any of this because it, You know, we'll see if all the effects replicate. Um, I, I hope
0: every listener just yeah, heard that. Right. as, I'm going to quote right. them. Claudia, They're Professor all... <laughs> Claudia Townsend,
1: announces the following key finding. Um, They're all
0: yeah. rushing yeah. out yeah. the door yeah. to yeah. tell yeah. their neighbors about right. whatever yeah. you're about I'm to sure say. I'm sure that's exactly what's going on. So <laughs>
1: this is a project I have with um, Ludovica Cesario, who I love that name. I know she's Italian. I mean, there's what's not to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just got married, and she just congratulations. Yeah, she just got a uh, postdoc at Wharton and is starting at Lehigh University. And um, so she studies luxury branding and I study aesthetics. And so we decided to put those two together. Um, and so what you're referring to earlier, this is not our research, but just to kind of kind of give some um, academic weight to what you're saying is luxury brands in general um, vary on what we call kind of their loudness. And so a loud brand is, you know, a Chanel sweater that says Chanel across the front. A softer one might just have like the Chanel C and of quiet brand. You know it doesn't have any chanel symbols and e- only those people who you know routinely go into chanel stores and routinely shop at chanel know that brand and so there's been some research um out of usc um there was also a paper by morgan Ward that various people have looked at this um element i'm not going to name everyone because then i'm going to forget some people but um the idea is kind of it depends on who who you're t- t- signaling to okay mm-hmm. so and what's interesting is two separate papers have found this effect that when you're looking at expensive brands among those you know luxury brands or, or just expensive brands, generally the bigger the symbol is, actually, would you guess they're more or less expensive? So within I... within Chanel or within Louis Vuitton, if it has a big LV, do you think it's more or less expensive?
0: Well, I would say, uh, being half informed, yes. I would say less expensive yes. with the large. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: yeah. So, so that's how it is. So, because it's basically. Like, I
0: think, don't you think most people would guess the other way around? Yeah. Or? I think,
1: I think it's, I think there's something counterintuitive about it. Yeah. So, you think like if I'm buying Louis Vuitton, it's got a big symbol. Like that must be the most expensive. But in fact, it's really about who's buying it. And who they're buying it for, and so if you're buying, leave- you're kind
0: of selling yourself to like a more knowledgeable. Well, like exactly. More elite so kind if if place. I've got a big
1: Chanel written across my chest, um, everyone knows I bought Chanel, and and I'm someone who wants everyone to know. Okay, mm. if I have just a plain black sweater that no one would know was Chanel except for the person who routinely goes into Chanel, then I'm really just signaling to the to my small cohort or my aspirational cohort which is people who you know know chanel i don't care what the person on the bus thinks frankly i'm not right riding the bus if i'm wearing chanel but i don't care what the general consumer thinks or the general person thinks i only care what like this really small group of people think Mm -hmm. um and so those tend to be um, kind of more more expensive um, and you even see it in cars so within a range of cars like if you looked at how big the mercedes sign is um it says mercedes much more prominently on their cheaper lines mm. um so it's kind of cool but so what we're looking at i totally tangential but i think that's really interesting research for the record it's not mine um i wish i'd done that research but we're looking at
0: well this is if i can stop you for mm-hmm. a second i also think of like this kind of makes sense with people have uh you know, say you have company over and you're you're going to your wine cellar yeah. or whatever yeah, to yeah. figure out which. Yeah. you're thinking like, yeah. Oh, are they actually gonna? I'm, yeah. not, I'm probably not gonna bust out the hundred dollar bottle right. on the yeah, on the person that's that's know. happy with yeah. the Trader Joe's. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, so what we're looking at, and this is kind of a new thing we identified in the marketplace, and um um, it's kind of crazy, but there is a new trend in luxury fashion of super hideous clothing um and this is not my judgment i am willing to believe that most people will say this stuff it's purposefully hideous yeah
0: okay. i've been picturing like kanye having like uh the it was like it was like speaking of tacky trying try it was like trying to look homeless or something he like that like on. holes yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that and
1: yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this is more less it's less of like that might be you consider like street fashion fashion taken to the extreme. But mm-hmm. we're talking. So right now there's this new th- this like luxury fashion is putting out these hideous, almost like platform white dad sneakers. And they're thousands of dollars. Or if you go right, <laughs> and, Yeah. What? Yeah. They're like. Platform? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish I wish this was a TV show instead of a podcast. I could pull up some images of oh, some of the stuff that's selling right now. Or if you go right now.
0: I'm um, trying to picture the kind this, of dad yeah. that is wearing. Oh, but these are women. But the, yeah,
1: no, it's terrible. Or um, right now, like uh, if you go to the Gucci website, there are these sweaters that look like the quintessential bad Christmas sweater, but it's Gucci. Right. Um, so it's there's one we're actually using in a study that is gold, red, and green striped. It's got a little glitter in it, and then it has an enormous applique bunny on it in brown okay this thing is i mean no question if you saw this in a kmart you would there's and it was three dollars you'd say that's too much Mm -hmm. and this is selling on gucci for 1800 dollars um and and it's selling a lot right this is a this is not a one-off thing across the board luxury brands are doing this and so we were we were thinking okay from a psychological point of view what is going on who is buying this and why um So we started to delve into that a little. And so we ran some studies where we'd take like a good looking sweater and an ugly sweater. And we'd either label it as, say, like H&M or Forever 21, something, you know, cheap or a Gucci or a Prada or something like that. And we saw, okay, well, how do people look at it? And we found a couple things. So obviously, if you tell them it's Gucci, they expect the price point to be higher. But within the the pretty and the uh, um, ugly sweater, they see the ugly sweater as more expensive than the pretty sweater. Um, when it's mm. labeled Gucci you don't get this when it's forever 21 or h H&M or m or some gap but once it's luxury they actually see that that sweater is they perceive it as more expensive mm. um, so that's step one which we're like okay that doesn't make sense um, we've done this even without pictures where we just describe the sweater so it, it there's no visual cue saying this is more expensive and yet people see, you, you see it as um, more expensive and then we actually gave people choices we said look you know, thanks for doing this. You can either have kind of whatever we gave it, like um, the sweater or it's val- like something like one fifth of its value um, in cash. And um, within the luxury, people were more, were, Within, sorry, within the non-luxury, no one picked the sweater. It's hideous. Um, if you say this is from Forever 21, they'll say, yeah, I'll take the good-looking one. But if you showed them the ugly one, they said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Within the luxury, it didn't matter. People were just as likely to choose the sweater when it was good-looking and when it wasn't. Hmm. So we've started to kind of figure out what's going on. And our theory is it really is about kind of signaling, signaling power and the fact that it signals luxury. And we have kind of two processes that we think is, are going on. One is basically um, if I ha- am someone who goes to the Gucci website, the Prada website or whatever, those ugly sweaters are pretty memorable. So the next day if I see you wearing it and I am someone in the know, even if it doesn't say Gucci or Prada on it, it's much easier to recognize it. So it becomes, you know, within these people in the know, I, oh, right, that you, I know which, where you got that sweater. Um, but then even among the people who don't necessarily know luxury, who don't go to the website, there's kind of this thing, so you see, if I if you walked into my office, um, I, you don't know me very well, but if you see someone wearing something particularly hideous, and maybe someone that you consider to be fashionable, your first thought would be, why does this person have this on? Um, and then you think, well, they didn't pick it for the aesthetics, so why did they pick it? So consumers kind of have this intuition, well, it must be for the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no other possible explanation of why you would be wearing you know, a Christmas sweater with an ugly bunny on it. Um, unless it was by a good brand. Mm. So we really think that this ugliness is kind of this other signal that says, yeah, this is, this is, this is luxury. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, there's Preliminarily, also again, with...
1: there's a bit asterisks there. We're not, you know, don't quote me on this.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's also something with fashion where it's like, you know, you know uh, the the elites kind yeah. of get some, and then like everyone else Just tries to it. copy totally. them, yeah. and then they're always so. Then the elites have to change again, yeah. and they're always yeah. trying to. So yeah, it, so you see something like really peculiar, yeah. and there is some sort of like. Wow, they, yeah, must, uh, they must really know <laughs> No, I
1: think there's definitely that going on. So basically what we're saying is it's it's not any... It doesn't have to just be ugly for this effect to occur. Mm-hmm. It's got to be distinctively ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, It's got to be like eye-catching or something you, noteworthy about it. Um, If it's just like, oh, that doesn't really fit you that well, you're not getting the effect. But it's got to be distinctively ugly. And you're absolutely right. It's like, oh, that must be cutting edge then if it's, if it's so
0: ugly. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to change the way things are okay? right. instead of like... You know, great fitting yeah. and uh yeah. and uh beautiful design it's gonna the future is gonna be like come, come and check out our new line of nearly traumatizing <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> where yeah like, exactly exactly <laughs> like shockingly horrific yeah, yeah
1: yeah
0: uh oh that's so fascinating yeah. well as we as we wrap up as i mentioned i have my guests each week plug a uh, plug a, a charity of their choice i try to encourage uh, people to get out there and do some good in the world. um and so did you have a group so of despite
1: likes? our conversation earlier, my my charity is a local charity, so uh, I'll give uh, a little disclaimer. Okay. so guitars over guns is a fantastic organization um, and what they do is they bring uh, music classes um, to in- inner city schools in Miami and I think they also work in Chicago so Chicago people this is relevant to you also mm-hmm. um, with the idea of kind of keeping kids off streets doing something productive learning music um, and it's a f- fantastic organization again that's called guitars over guns but given this context that it is local I would encourage all your listeners to kind of think about that idea of um, maybe if you as as a young person were able to participate in some after school activity um, and if you hadn't been participating in that activity, what m- trouble you might have gotten in or an- influences you might have fallen under and see if there's an organization maybe in your community that is like Guitars Over Guns kind of helping kids um, learn yeah. and do something productive in the afternoons.
0: Absolutely. I love it. That's fantastic. Good. Well, thank you, Claudia. Yeah. And this, uh, if there was anything else that Not we at need to... Uh, Not Okay, perfect. Yeah. I think we nailed it. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank thanks you for, for your time. Me. This is a terrific conversation. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. I'll talk with you next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, very special episode. I drove to Hood River, Oregon, got a tour of the full-sale brewery, and got to sit down with brewery quality assurance manager Kevin McCabe, who took his science background and now uses it to brew better beer for full-sale brewery. We have this fantastic Discussion. I got a tour of the lab. I got a tour of the facility. Got to see uh, uh, all of the beer manufacturing of just thousands and thousands of bottles, all all being uh, bottled at once, and just seeing all of the cool facilities. And it was uh, it was wonderful. Ever been on a brewery tour before? I've been on a few now. Always a good time and. Uh, this one was special because I actually got to sit down with one of the uh, one of the brewers afterwards and have a long chat about. We actually talk a lot about the the evolution of alcohol and of yeast and how and how humans have uh, adapted alongside yeast and why alcohol would have had some benefits for early humans. Really, just mind-blowing really interesting discussion mostly the evolution of beer i guess is is kind of what we're talking about next week so i should have opened with that huh well (laughs) you're definitely going to want to check it out and by the way i took some pictures while i was touring the brewery and i'm going to be putting them on instagram bear with me i am very new to instagram at Shane Moss Comedy. Do you say at? I think that you do. I'm very new to Instagram. I'm going to try to start putting pictures with guests and stuff like that on the old Instagram page. I, You know, I've gotten a little burnt out on the Twitter and the Facebook stuff lately. I still try to post some show info, and once in a while I still post some jokes here and there, and it comes and goes. Sometimes I get on a real, real hot streak, but... Uh, but I've, I've kind of been, you know, you've heard me talking about it with some guests over uh, over some past episodes, trying to be a little more open-minded about figuring out how to connect with people. And so going to give Instagram a try. We'll see. Is it going to be, am I going to get horribly addicted? Is it going to ruin my life? We'll find out so far so good also patreon.com speaking of <laughs> more things for me to keep up with uh slash shane moss you can go and check out extra content there today's outro music brought to you by the multiple pat. and if you want to check out more great indie music check out the jimmy pro indie music podcast it's fantastic Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.